0: We give participants in a wide range of social change work a chance to take a longer view as they talk about what they do, how they do it, and why they do it. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Sonia Singh and Anthony Tamburino. One of the defining arcs of change over the last few decades has been that there are fewer and fewer good jobs to be had. More and more people must depend on jobs that are insecure, unpleasant, and low-paying. And however true it might once have been, certainly today, minimum wage work is not primarily the domain of kids earning pocket change, but is something increasing numbers of people depend on to support themselves and their families. The minimum wage in Ontario is $10.25 an hour for most kinds of work. This is well below the poverty line, even for full-time workers, and it has been frozen at that level for several years, so people who depend on it are falling farther and farther behind. For the last year, though, a campaign has been growing to pressure the provincial government to bring the minimum wage above the poverty line, up to the level of $14 an hour. The campaign brings together a broad cross-section of groups and has a base in many different communities, including many smaller communities not normally known for social movement mobilizations. Sonia Singh is an organizer with the Toronto Workers' Action Centre, one of the key originating groups of the campaign, and Anthony Tamburino is with the Peel Regional Labour Council, a coalition of unions in an area not known as an activist hotbed. They spoke with me on April 14th, the most recent of the campaign's monthly days of action, about their activities so far, the exciting response they've been getting from ordinary Ontarians, the unfortunate reluctance of even progressive politicians to take up their demands, and their plans to keep building until they win. I spoke with Singh and Tamborino by Skype to phone from Toronto and Mississauga, respectively.
1: I'm Sonia. I work as an organizer at the Workers' Action Centre. We've been part of the steering committee of the campaign to raise the minimum wage. The campaign to raise the minimum wage has been organizing since March of last year for a $14 minimum wage. The Workers' Action Center is a worker center. What that means is that we're a community-based organization. We provide support to people who are facing problems at work, such as things like not getting paid properly, not getting paid overtime, being fired unfairly. So we have a phone hotline and we support people to know what their rights are and decide what kind of action that they might want to take. At the same time, we also are really clear that unless we are organizing for better laws and better wages, that the same kinds of problems that people are calling our hotline every day about are just going to continue, that we are not going to be making a dent in the bigger issues that are causing these kinds of really unfair working conditions. So we work with our members, people who have faced a problem and then have gotten involved because they want to make a difference, to work on campaigns that strengthen our basic labor laws or, like the minimum wage campaign, fight for better wages for workers across Ontario, because we see that it's limited the kinds of changes we can make in our individual workplaces, but when we come together, we have power and we have strength, and we can really build strong alliances and strong movements to win the kinds of changes that workers need to see. Increased minimum wage is something that our members talk about all the time. We hear about the struggles people face every day on our phone line just trying to survive on our current $10.25. So that was really the motivation for us getting involved in this campaign.
2: And I'm Anthony Tamburino. I'm with the Peel Regional Labor Council. We represent Brampton, Mississauga, and Caledon. And we've also been a part of the Raise the Minimum Wage campaign. And it's a coalition of labor unions, community groups, and various activists. We have been going on our monthly, on the 14th of every month, and having various actions and asking the Ontario government to raise the minimum wage to $14.00. The minimum wage as we speak right now in Ontario is set at $10.25 and that's substantially below the official poverty line. The calculations that we've cited suggest in order for a worker working full time to be at or above the poverty line, they would have to make $14 an hour. So this would be enough to pay a modest rent, pay for groceries and for basic necessities in order to raise a family in the province of Ontario. The minimum wage has been frozen for a number of years now and the cost of living and inflation costs continuously go up while wages are held at a poverty line. So one of our slogans has been that a job should be a way out of poverty and not a trap into it. The majority of people who live under poverty in Ontario are actually children and much of the poor are what we call the working poor, that is people that have jobs, sometimes two or three and they are being paid wages that are not enough to feed their family properly and pay for the necessities of life. So we've been campaigning to put pressure on the Ontario government to do the right thing and help lift these workers out of poverty.
1: And I think part of our rationale is that our economy right now is driven by consumer spending, so it's not just an issue of poverty, that's of course a really important aspect of why we're fighting for a fair minimum wage, but it's also a question about creating good jobs, about putting money back into the economy. We know when people don't have money in their pockets to spend, then local businesses suffer, communities suffer, and so this is also about rebuilding our economy and making sure that we have the kinds of jobs and the kinds of wages that communities need to thrive. We calculated that a minimum wage increase to $14 would put at least $5 billion back into local economies in Ontario.
2: And I think the question of why labor unions are supporting this campaign is a good one, Because especially in recent years, there's been a concerted effort to paint labor with a negative brush and the idea that we're only concerned with our own members and our own wages. But if you look at the history of the labor movement in Canada and the rest of the world, labor has always supported broad-based policies to lift up the lowest members of the working class. Historically, we were the ones that actually fought for a legal minimum wage. We are the ones that historically fought for health and safety regulations in the workplace. As the popular bumper sticker says, uh, unions, the people that brought you the weekend. So we've always supported these broad-based programs that try to lift up and help all workers. So that's actually nothing new. We've been working in coalition with the Workers' Action Centre Out in Peel, where I am, we've been working closely with the Peel Poverty Action Group, the Council of Canadians, and other groups. So we're really pushing for what's called social unionism. The idea that unions are there to build broad-based coalitions to improve the conditions of workers. And we'd also like to see a better society and we think having a a low wage economy where upwards of close to a third of workers that work full time are making below poverty wages. We don't think this is good for the economy. We'd like to see a better economy, not just looking out for our own members.
0: Tell me more about the process of building the coalition that's the core of the campaign
1: It had been a few years since minimum wage was on the political agenda. A lot of us were working on issues that face working people, such as our campaign at the Workers' Action Centre around unpaid wages and employment standards enforcement, other groups focusing on social assistance. And we just realized that in that time, there was a bit of a vacuum of pressure on the Ontario government to make sure the minimum wage was keeping pace with the cost of living. Workers were getting further and further behind. So we were part of a process of reaching out to a lot of different community, labor, student groups to think about how could we start a new campaign around a minimum wage increase and brought together a number of groups to form a steering committee and then began reaching out to contacts across Ontario as well as neighborhoods and community groups across Toronto with the base of our members at the Workers' Action Centre really helping to formulate what is it that people wanted to see, what was it a wage that we should be calling for. It was a really important principle from the beginning that we wanted to build a shared campaign that everybody who felt that this was an issue that was important to the community they were working with could have a stake in and really see as their own campaign. So that was part of the reasoning to launch this as a campaign that was not you know, run by one organization but was a shared effort. And one of the things that we felt was really important was to start that process of building alliances around some shared principles that we could go back and forth on a number and definitely we could debate, you know, what is the exact number we want to be calling for. But we felt like it was really important to start with a principle, as Anthony named, that working should not leave you in poverty, that we need a minimum wage that brings workers above the poverty line. And we settled on the number of 10% above the poverty line. And then from there, it was really easy to build consensus on, you know, what does that look like in 2014? What does that look like going forward? And I think it resonates, you know, it resonates when we're out talking on the street with low-wage workers who don't feel like we should be asking for poverty wages. We need to be broadening our vision of what we ask for, of what we deserve in Ontario. We want to be building that vision of what are decent wages, what is decent work in Ontario, and building a really creative fight to get there. Starting with that set of broad principles made it easier to build the kind of consensus that you do need when you're building a province-wide campaign. And I think made it also easy to connect it into issues that people were already working on, whether it was anti-poverty groups or labor unions who are looking at how do we support our members or groups that were working on issues of social assistance or unemployment in their communities. That was where we started is building a set of principles and then building from there into looking at who really wanted to sit on a steering committee to be shaping the campaign each month. But then from there, we've had a lot of success with just a really decentralized campaign that groups have sprung up all over the province and shaped the campaign to what makes sense in their community and with their context. And that's been a really successful formula to have something build momentum and, and really spread across the province.
0: Tell me more about the initial conversations that happened within the campaign about, okay, so we've got a number, we've got some principles, how are we going to act? And then give me some examples of what has been happening in different communities with these monthly actions.
1: The idea of the monthly actions came out of a community meeting where we invited people to come out and brainstorm, okay, we know this is a moment, we need to launch the campaign, How are we going to make this something that is going to make the government take notice of these demands that are absolutely crucial for working people? We launched the campaign in March of last year with a melt-the-freeze action, and that really set the flavor and the tone of what followed because that action, we came up with a sort of a common theme where we had a frozen block of ice with $10.25 frozen inside it, and we presented that block of ice at the Ministry of Labor in Toronto, but in 10 other cities, community members and labor activists presented similar blocks of ice to their MPPs. And so that was such a successful action. It generated media across the province, and it sparked people And so when we had that community meeting, one of the brainstorms that came out of the discussion was, let's do an action on the 14th of every month. And some of the other brainstorming that came out of that meeting was, we need to have really creative, engaging actions that target MPPs, but also target low-wage employers. We need to do things differently. We don't want to do the same old kinds of things that we've done over and over again that don't necessarily bring that sense of optimism, of hope of our power. You know, I've been part of those same old actions (laughs) many times, so not to diss that, but it was really a a real strategy, like, let's do something creative that is fun. The people come out, and they are really excited that they were part of this action and can't wait to find out what's the next thing that's going to happen. So we started in August, our first day of action on the 14th. In Toronto, for example, we did a street party in a neighborhood where we had a samba band and we had games for kids and watermelon and food, and people just came to us to sign petitions. And people did similar kinds of community outreach blitzes in other cities across the province. And that led to that idea, let's focus on a different theme each month. So in September, that was when we narrowed in on low-wage employers, and that's really been a theme ever since. People in Peterborough did a picket outside Tim Hortons. There were actions at McDonald's and Guelph and in KW. I'll let Anthony talk about Mississauga. And each month, we would also share a little infographic that talked about who we were targeting that month and why, and really tried to make the actions as fun and engaging as possible.
2: I think out here, we've had a, a two pronged approach. We're trying to gain leverage and pressuring our local elected officials, but we've also been trying to engage and inspire the community. There's a major public busing hub in the center of Mississauga where people get off buses and transfer to others. And we've been going there doing info pickets with bullhorns and placards and information and talking to people as they get off on on buses. And some of them, if they have 20, 30 minutes to wait, they've actually joined us, which is quite fun. We've made sure that the local press has come out to all of these. So we've done things like today. We went to a local mall that has a lot of low-wage employers we got in the mall for a short while before we knew we'd be asked to leave by security, but we think we got the message out and asked some people to walk over to the local MPP, and we delivered her a large novelty check for $5 billion, asking her to bring that to uh, Kathleen Wynne to say that's how much we can put into the economy if we raise the minimum wage to a uh, living wage. We've also went to Toys R Us, which are all over the suburbs, And we did an info picket outside and we quickly go in and do a quick few chants and hand out flyers to people before the security comes. Then we'd leave, go over to uh, other places like Tim Hortons or Walmart and do this as well. Kind of the Pied Piper approach, gaining new people on. And many people have gotten excited and wanted to get more and more involved.
0: As someone who lives in a smaller center, it often seems that there are lots of cool political things that happen in Toronto and never quite get beyond Toronto, but this is really different. This is something that really seems to have taken root in a lot of different communities across the province. What do you think the key is to having that geographic reach when so many other kinds of political action don't spread outside of the big cities?
2: God, I think that's actually a really good point. Where I am in Peel region, it's a suburb. It's not known for being a hotbed of political activism, they tend to vote conservative or liberal. But we've actually found that we've sparked a bit of a fire when we go out with this issue. Where we are, the major employers tend to be low-wage employers, and these are large U.S.-based multinationals that everyone's heard of. Toys R Us, Tim Horton, Walmart, McDonald's, temporary agencies like Manpower, and things like this. So when we go out to do our campaign, when we go out and meet the public, when we go out and do information tickets in front of these large stores, we get the odd person who complains that this will put small businesses under and such. But most people are very supportive, and they say things like we should have been doing this a long time ago And we have many people that walk by and end up staying and talking to us for 20 minutes and telling very personal stories, how they work two jobs, how they have to rent a basement apartment with their kids, all the type of illnesses their kids get from living in conditions that aren't conducive for health, you know, not being able to give proper breakfast, damp basement apartments, and this type of thing. So it's very much caught on. And I would suspect in a lot of these communities outside of the major urban centers, There's a large group of people that are waiting for something like this. It could motivate them. It could engage them and inspire them because it affects their lives directly.
1: I agree with Anthony that it's just had so much resonance. It's a real clear, focused demand. So whether it's, for example, groups in Windsor or Peterborough who are looking at in Peterborough, I know an issue is the really high rents that are being charged and people connecting through that saying, I can't afford an apartment in Peterborough because my wages are so low. Or folks in Hamilton or KW talking about temp agencies and how they're seeing increasingly that when people are out looking for work, that all that's available is work through temp agencies. So there's sort of an angle in because it's affecting people across the province, not just an issue in Toronto where, you know, we know we have a high cost of living in Toronto, but there are these barriers to living a decent life with decent work in all of these communities that looks different in each place. And so I think people being able to take an issue that it's a clear, focused demand and be able to adapt it to what they see on the ground in their area has been really successful. And having materials that people can use each month, so having the monthly day of action, I think, was a real success so far. And and I can see as an organizer just something where, you know, we... We all want to do actions and we want to be part of the campaign, but of course, so many people have so many things that are going on. People who are working in low-wage jobs, it's a struggle to be involved often when you're working two, three jobs, having to worry about childcare, care, etc. But when we have a frame, everybody knows it's the 14th of the month and let's try something this month see what happens, even if it's, you know, a few people that come out, we can build on that and reach out to more people who will come out the following month, so really seeing how a monthly day of action every month can help build momentum and help really communities that may not have had a lot of capacity to take on a fight really start small and see how it can build. So I think that that's been a real success and, and, and something that's helped us see that spread very quickly.
2: Many people are looking at this as a moral issue. We see big corporations raking in record profits. We see these low-wage-paying employers like Pizza Pizza. I think they just increased their profits to 37%. Tim Hortons recently announced that they're breaking their own records. Everyone knows about Walmart. And working people are getting very, very frustrated and very, very angry and often feel that there's not much they can do. If the Ontario government refuses to raise the minimum wage to a living wage, then what they're saying to all these folks that are struggling is that they're okay knowing that you're living in poverty. You're working full-time, and you're subsidizing large corporations to make record profits. Much of them are shipped back to the U.S., are not kept in the local communities. So many people, when they come and speak to us when we're picketing, they're angry, and they want to do something, and they see this as as an issue of justice, and they want to fight back. So I think this is increasingly becoming one of the major issues of the contemporary era. Runaway corporate profits and power faced by a growing low-wage working class that feels they're being exploited and taken advantage of.
0: Tell me about the range of things that you've heard from people on the street, from the media, and from the politicians in response to the campaign.
2: The mass of people are supportive, and the elected officials we spoke to tend not to be. Some of the arguments that they bring up tend to be using a fear tactic. This is the same tactic they use when we try to eliminate child labor. The idea that this will put so much strain on employers that they'll have to go out of business. But we've done all sorts of research to indicate that that's not the case. In fact, that businesses tend to prosper when you have a community making greater wages and are more likely to buy products
1: we just have to talk about, well, what did studies show that, in fact, those sorts of concerns are not borne out? It's a consumer-driven economy, and when there's more money circulating, it means that businesses have more opportunities. People, when they have a bit more money in their pockets, they tend to spend it locally in local economies, and that benefits small businesses predominantly. And I think what happens is that the big business lobbies are lobbying very hard to have a freeze. Some of these corporate lobby groups have actually called for wages that are lower wages. They would like to see a lower wage for people who are new to the job market. So these are things where their voices are very powerful, and it's up to us as the campaign and as people who care about these issues to make sure that politicians are hearing from us as well and that we're countering that fear-mongering.
2: Many people that do genuinely want to support this, but their fear is that small employers won't be able to compete. Close to 70% of low-wage workers are working in very large, very profitable, usually U.S.-based companies. And in the U.S., and I think I can say we tend to be inspired by the living wage movement in the U.S., what we have is the public actually subsidizing big corporations like Walmart because they pay their workers so little, those workers have to take food stamps, they have to work in subsidized housing. They have to use food banks, etc., which means these companies are being subsidized by workers, which isn't the right thing to do, and they don't need these subsidies. They could pay a decent living wage.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the response so far from the provincial government and what did or didn't come out of it?
1: A direct response from this issue being put back into the public radar and media radar and that organizing that began in March last year. Shortly after that, we heard the announcement that this commission, which had been promised several years ago and not acted upon, was actually going to be set up. The campaign's position was we really don't need a commission to study this issue. We know what our communities need. We need a fair minimum wage that brings workers above the poverty line. But this commission was set up. We wanted to make sure that there was a real acceleration of the campaign during the time that it was going out and hearing from people across the province, and we encourage people to go and share their stories. It was important that on this panel, there were representatives from labor and community groups so that people who know what is the reality on the ground could be part of listening to these deputations and shaping the final recommendations. Of course, there were also lobby groups that were on this advisory panel representing employers' perspective, and that meant that the panel, in releasing its report as a consensus report, was limited in what it could build consensus between the community labor, student, and business representatives. So it was actually, I think, quite significant and a real indication of the kind of pressure and momentum the campaign was able to generate in a very short amount of time that one of the recommendations was that the minimum wage should be indexed to the cost of living and that the business representatives on the panel were pushed to concede that from the organizing, I believe, on the ground. Of course, we would have liked to see the panel go a bit further and talk about some of the principles of that the minimum wage should bring workers out of poverty, but that just wasn't possible with those kinds of businesses sitting around the table. So the recommendations were made and then the Liberal government moved quickly to announce that they would introduce legislation to index the minimum wage to the cost of living, uh, Bill 165, and they announced that they would raise the minimum wage in June of 2014 to $11 an hour. And that, of course, falls far short of what the campaign has been fighting for. And that's why the campaign is continuing and is building even more momentum and is fighting to say $11 is not enough. It still leaves workers below the poverty line. One of the things that is a big unknown at this moment is whether there's going to be a provincial election or not in the spring or in the fall. So that is something very much on our radar as the campaign that we need, if an election is called, to be really ramping up to ensure that all parties are facing pressure to take a stand on the minimum wage that reflects what we need in our communities. So far, none of the parties has agreed to a $14 minimum wage. But regardless of whether there's an election or not, we need to continue building in cities across Ontario. We need to be getting bigger, have more communities coming on board different kinds of actions continuing. So we certainly are seeing that this fight has to continue to be out on the street saying, this is not enough. We need a $14 minimum wage. We're not going to pack up and go home now that it's $11. That's not what we've heard from people, and we don't think that anyone is going to be satisfied by that.
2: And I think it's also important to remember that these kind of campaigns take a long time. This isn't something that can be done overnight concerted, continued pressure is very important because without pressure from below, without a large number of people getting out and getting involved, it's going to be quite easy for them to just put this to the back of their agenda and let it go. And as we've spoke about, there's very powerful interest that want to either maintain the minimum wage or even lower it. So I think it's very important for people to get involved. If you're in an area where there's already an established campaign, make sure you join up. Make sure you pass a resolution in your community group, your union, your church group, your student group, and to get people involved. We have lots of campaign literature that you can print off the website. And if you live in an area that there isn't a Raise the Minimum Wage campaign activist centre yet, get in contact with us and start one up.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Sonia Singh of the Toronto Workers Action Centre and Anthony Tamburino of the Peel Regional Labour Council, about the campaign to raise Ontario's minimum wage. To learn more about the campaign, go to raisetheminimumwage.ca. That's raisetheminimumwage.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.